Locked on Longhorns, the show. Jonathan Davis, your host. My brother, George Corkian, joining me today. And your Texas Longhorns are 1-0 after beating Louisiana Monroe on Saturday. And so we have to talk about our biggest takeaways from the game, our biggest surprises from the game, and then our biggest key players from the Texas Week 1 win over Louisiana Monroe. And then we're starting another tradition here on Locked on Longhorns today. Every Sunday slash Monday, we'll have Josh Neighbors on. The Locked On Big 12 host, I don't have time to watch every Big 12 game. I know you don't have time to watch every Big 12 game. You're focused on your Longhorns, so that's why we're going to bring Josh Neighbors on to tell you what's going on around the Big 12, who looks good, who doesn't look great, and who are the players you should watch out for when they face your Texas Longhorns. But starting with these takeaways from the first game of the 2022 season against Louisiana Monroe, I have three of them, and the first one was I love how effective the Texas offense was in 12 personnel. So 12 personnel is going to be your two tight ends and one running back in the backfield. We know that that's the bread and butter of Sark's offense, and we know that they're going to utilize that a lot uh, to get mismatches out of that, whether it's a strong blocking up front with seven people on the line of scrimmage in the run game or, you know, dynamic tight ends and Gunnar Helm and JT Sanders uh, thus far coming out of that personnel uh, to catch passes as well. If you haven't heard, Jaleel Billingsley is in the midst of a six-game suspension. Uh, ULM was the first game, and the next five games will be served um, until the end of the Oklahoma game. And so he won't be a part of that for a while, but they definitely utilized 12 personnel to perfection, I believe, in the first game against ULM. And some of their biggest plays came out of 12 personnel. The Roshan Johnson touchdown run, that came out of 12 personnel with two tight ends on the field. Uh, Quinn Ewers and JT Sanders' first touchdowns of their Texas careers. Uh, Quinn Ewers threw the ball to JT Sanders. That came out of 12 personnel. Some uh, confusion on the defense where JT Sanders was lined up out of blocker, came out on a wheel route, and nobody went with them. And then the longest play of the day, the 43-yard pass to Casey Kane, uh, came out of 12 personnel as well, which was really interesting uh, because the two wide receivers on the field were Jordan Whittington and Casey Kane rather than Xavier Worthy and Jordan Whittington, but Casey Kane caught like a little screen pass, a quick pass, and then took it 43 yards ultimately um, from being tackled. And then B. John Robinson's, his touchdowns didn't come out of 12 personnel, but his two longest runs of the day came out of 12 personnel. Um, a 21-yard run and a 13-yard run both came out of 12 personnel. And then J.T. Sanders, like I said, this allows you to use the tight end in so many different ways. And Sark has repeatedly said that quarterback is the most important position in sports, but the second most position, second most important position on his offense is the tight end. And J.T. Sanders had six catches for 85 yards, the most by a Texas tight end since 2007, and he did it in three quarters. Crazy stuff yesterday, really effective in 12 personnel. My second takeaway was Quinn Ewers played point guard, but he played it more like Chris Paul than Russell Westbrook. And what I mean by that is he, after his first two passes, the first one should have been picked. It was a bad pass to Xavier Worthy. The second one was picked. He really settled in. And we know that Quinn Ewers is a gunslinger, right? We know that he wants to throw the ball downfield. He wants to let it loose. He wants to, you know, sling it. He wants to attack with those receivers downfield, put up points, put up yards and really dominate opposing defenses. But what we saw him do on Saturday against Louisiana Monroe was just simply take what was there, take the check down, and get the ball into the hands of his playmakers. I know he tried uh, three or four times to go deep to Xavier Worthy. Sark had drawn those up, um, and they just didn't work out. But I, I thought that Quinn Ewers did a great job of, like I said, playing point guard, getting the ball of his, uh, getting the ball into his playmakers' hands really quickly and allowing them to make plays. So 10 of his 16 completions – 
went to tight ends and running backs. So 63% of his completions either went to B. John Robinson, Gunnar Helm, or JT Sanders. And I'm not sure that's something that we would have said going into the game. JT Sanders had six catches. Jordan Whittington, Xavier Worthy, and Casey Kane had six catches combined. So JT Sanders had the same amount of catches that Quinn Ewer's top three receivers had combined. That tells me that he settled into the game plan, understood uh, what Sark wanted him to do, and most importantly, it was about getting the ball into the hands of all of these playmakers and making plays rather than Quinn feeling like he had to make the plays himself. And I thought he did a great job of that, and that's one of the hardest things for a gunslinger to learn is to play within the offense and not be the offense um, themselves. And when you think of Quinn Ewers, like I said, he's somebody that wants to push the ball down the field a lot, but he had only one completion that traveled 20 plus yards in the air. However, I still think that Quinn Ewers had three wow plays on Saturday, which really kind of is the difference between him and a lot of quarterbacks in the country, his ability to consistently make these wild plays. He had the 125 yard pass to JT Sanders where he kind of crept up uh, in the pocket and kind of just flicked it uh, down the middle of the field and JT Sanders caught it in the bucket on the run. That was a wild play. He had another play where he kind of scrambled out to the left and baited the defender into him, but he kept his eyes downfield like he was going to throw the ball deep. And as soon as the defender committed to Quinn Ewers, he dumped it off to JT Sanders and allowed him to catch and run for 25 yards. And then he had an 11-yard dart uh, to Jordan Whittington right before Burt Arburn missed uh, the field goal before halftime. He had a dart in between double coverage that was perfectly thrown with perfect zip on the ball that if it was less zip or it was in any other location, it's probably a pick six the other way. But only a few quarterbacks in college football can make that throw, and Quinn Ewers is one of them. So I thought he played really well, once again, playing point guard, more like Chris Paul, then Russell Westbrook. And then my last takeaway really quick before I let my brother George go is that the D-line was dominant. And it starts with Baron Sorrell. He was the highest graded defender on this Texas football team, according to Pro Football Focus, with one and a half sacks and two tackles for loss. Keandre Coburn was the third highest graded defender. He had a sack and a tackle for loss. I thought Moral Ojemo flashed. Uh, Tavondre Sweat, Vernon Broughton, and Byron Murphy all made plays. And we'll talk about the freshman D-linemen. They had a great game as well. We talked about this D-line dominating and stuff in the run all offseason. Uh, but we continued to say, oh, it's against Texas, it's against a shaky offensive line. And I know Louisiana Monroe aren't world beaters either, but you have to play who's in front of you. And since the spring, uh, this defensive line has been dominant in stopping the run. And that continued on Saturday against Louisiana Monroe, not to mention Demo and him coming off the edge and the headache that gives opposing offenses as well. So those are my three biggest takeaways, how effective they were in 12 personnel, how Quinn Ewers played point guard, more like Chris Paul than Russell Westbrook, and just distributed the ball to his playmakers underneath, and then how dominant the D-line was. George, what you got for us? What were your biggest takeaways? Oh, man. Um, well, first of all, you know, thanks for having me on, John. Always love chopping it up, talking a little Texas football with you. Um, yes, sir. You know, Kind of piggybacking on the on the Quinn Ewers thing. It's funny. You and I were talking on the phone last week, and I said, you know, it would not surprise me at all if we saw him, you know, come out, guns ablazing, throws a pick six or something on like the first play of the game, and all of Twitter and Reddit melt down. Well, we were one playoff. Um, yeah. yeah. So he threw a pick on the second play of the game, and I think my biggest takeaway from that point on is, you know, kind of piggybacking, like I said, on what you said. Um, he was really able to kind of, you know, internalize hey, I made a mistake let's take it back a step let's you know run through the game plan I don't have to throw a 65 yard touchdown 
every single play. You know, we're, we're allowed to move the ball incrementally down the field and score. So after that, it was really impressive. A takeaway that I had just the fact that he was able to kind of calm himself down, you know, cooler heads always prevail. Um, and was able to, I mean, from that point on, I mean, he had a couple, you know, eh moments, but I thought he played about as good as you can expect a guy who hasn't played football in two years against someone not <laughs> wearing his jersey, you know? Um, yeah. So uh, that would be my first uh, my first big takeaway. Second, I think I got to piggyback with you again on just how dominant the defensive line looked. Um, I think there's definitely some kinks kind of going on in the, in the back seven that we got to work through. Um, you know, I know looking at some of those PFF grades uh, for some of the defenders, I'll let you touch more on that later, but uh, just some stuff that's definitely a little concerning, you know, going from ULM to, uh, you know, the big bad giant that Alabama is coming in next week. So uh, definitely some stuff to work on there. But I thought the defensive line looked really impressive um, across the board. Uh, Snacks had a couple really nice plays. Like you said, Baron Sorrell, in my opinion, was probably the most impressive player um, from, from yesterday's game, just on both sides of the ball. And uh, if I had to give you a third takeaway, man, um, I think special teams, uh, there's, you know, bringing in two young kickers, uh, definitely going to have some stuff to work out there. But um, I was really impressed with, I think it was in the third quarter, it may have been at the end of the second, but uh, Xavier Worthy had a really nice punt return where he kind of reversed field. And there were, you could see three instances of, of guys who could have easily blocked in the back there and just, you can tell that the special teams unit is well coached because, you know, the, the hands That's in a great the air. Point. That's a great um, point. That's you, a you great can, point. You can tell that Jeff Banks has really been, uh, you know, coaching these guys up. And, you know, Deshaun Jameson, man, I mean, guy has made a name for himself as a return man. I know it probably hurts your pride a little bit to be moved to blocking punts instead of returning them. First punt of the game, you know, guy comes through with his hair on fire, blocks the punt, we scoop and score. So um, you can definitely tell that the special teams unit is bought in and, and well coached. Yeah, those are great points. Um, and you talked about that defensive line. Like I said, you have to play who's in front of you. And they'll obviously have their biggest test of the season next week against Alabama. But they held Louisiana Monroe to 2.2 rushing yards per carry. Right? That's elite. Right? Okay, we're going to talk about, um, you know, our surprises, our biggest surprises from the game, and then our players of the game uh, next. Then, of course, we're going to have Josh Neighbors at the end uh, to talk about the biggest things going on in Big 12 play. Uh, right now, but a quick word from Built Bar. If you haven't tried Built Bar Puffs yet, you are depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys. And guess what? There's a new flavor. Ready? Delicious, indulgent cookie dough covered in chocolate. That's right. Built has done it again. Let me introduce you to your new favorite cookie dough chunk puffs. Have a light and chewy texture. Real cookie dough chunks. And of course, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. You're going to love the new cookie dough chunk puff. Whether you need a snack for your workout, a late night treat, or just need to grab a quick bite. And Build is the perfect protein bar, and they taste better than a candy bar. Dish the calories, the fat, and the sugar, and grab yourself a Built bar. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKEDON15, and get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKEDON15. All right, George, so we talked about our biggest takeaways, and I thought we had some great takeaways that really um, encompassed everything that happened, everything important that happened. Um, in Saturday's game against Louisiana Monroe. But it was the first game of the season. We've been talking all offseason about what we wanted to see. So naturally, uh, there were some surprises. And I think my surprises, all of them come from the roles that the true freshmen did and did not play um, in Saturday's game. And then I'll let you, you know, respond to that. So um, when I looked at it, first of all, Kelvin Banks and Cole Hudson do not look like freshmen. 
They just don't look like freshmen to me, whether it's body-wise or play style. I mean, you look at Kelvin Banks. He looks like an NFL boy. player already, yeah. like body-wise. But when you looked at him playing the game, he didn't look like a, a freshman left tackle starting his first game. Quinn Ewers looked very comfortable with Kelvin Banks being his blindside blocker. And for everything I saw, he did a really good job at it. And then Cole Hudson was just a mauler at that right guard position. And there was a few times, you know, maybe where I saw him get pushed back a little bit. For, for the most part, he played a really great and dominant game up there in the trenches as well. And on B. John Robinson's touchdown run, he ran right behind Cole Hudson. And on Roshan Johnson's touchdown run, he ran right behind Kelvin Banks. And Kelvin Banks occupied, occupied two uh, defenders on that play if you go back and watch it. So these talented running backs already know who to run behind on that offensive line. And it's the true freshman as well. And then you talk about on the defensive side. I did not expect Jalen Gilbo to start. And not only did he start, he was the second highest graded defender on the defense and the highest graded secondary defender, period, right? Not just freshman, period, according to Pro Football Focus. He had an outstanding game. Um, he had a pass deflection on the first drive. He hit the quarterback on Deshaun Jameson's pick six. He was really was just all over the field. And this is somebody that was suspended from team activities for a little bit over the offseason. And so the fact that he was able uh, to come right back in, pick up where he left off as a true freshman and start his first game and be the second highest graded defender on that defense was outstanding for uh, Jalen Gilbo. And then when you looked at it, uh, Justice Finkley had a key pressure on uh, Deshaun Jameson's pick six. I think Ethan Burke had a half a sack. He was also a top eight graded defender on this defensive, on the defensive period, um, definitely on the defensive line. And then Dre Bledsoe uh, was like the fifth or sixth highest graded defender on the defense period as well. Uh, so all, you're getting key contributions from these true freshmen you brought in already from Jalen Gilbo, Justice Finkley, Ethan Burke, Dre Bledsoe, Jamon Tapp looked good as well. Um, so it, you know, it feels really good to bring in these highly rated prospects, but when you can hit on them and they can come in in their first game and play well right away, um, I think that that's a huge key. We know that this is a young Texas football team and they're going to rely on these freshmen throughout the season. Uh, but on the offensive and defensive side, I thought the freshmen came out with their hair on fire and played really well right away. Um, my biggest kind of other surprise as far as I talk about roles they did not play was Brennan Thompson did not get a single snap with Quinn Ewers. And I, I really was surprised by that. I thought that Sark would come out right away um, and show off that connection between Quinn Ewers and, and Brennan Thompson with that 10-2 speed. I have to believe this is a little bit of gamesmanship. We obviously know that Alabama knows to prepare for Quinn, uh, Quinn Ewers and, and Xavier Worthy speed, but maybe they don't know too much about Brennan Thompson yet. Maybe Sark saving that to week two. Um, but I was really surprised that we didn't see the the Quinn Ewers to Brennan Thompson uh, connection, especially since we saw it in the open practice. Once again, Brennan Thompson did not get a single snap uh, with Quinn Ewers in the ones. And so I think that might be gamesmanship. I think we do see it against Alabama, but I was surprised we didn't see it against Louisiana Monroe. Uh, so what was your biggest surprise from the game, George? Man, my biggest surprise, uh, just kind of touching back to the offense, um, just, you know, A, how – crazy that stat I heard that stat yesterday that you that you read earlier with the the six for 85 is the most since 2007 2007 like that that you would think it would be at least after Texas is prime like that's still when Texas was yeah, a I national feel, championship contender right yeah, that's crazy I, I like, like it's, at some point somebody could back their way into more than that you know and he did it in less than three quarters right or I mean especially less than four yeah like so that that was a crazy stat when I heard it and then just to kind of you know add on to that like it's it's very obvious who Quinn Ewers trusts the most already at least from one game um I think JT Sanders uh really made himself available um 
there were a couple option routes that he ran where you could tell that he just kind of knew exactly where to sit. I think he really showed off as a blocker. Um, you know, I think he's going to be a huge, huge part of this offense moving forward, not just this year, but, you know, for the next couple of years. That, that's an NFL player right there, no doubt. Um, for, for, I mean, he could have gotten some burn last year, but I'm pretty sure from a, you know, like a full game standpoint, that's kind of his first game as well, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I it was his first catch and, and all of that. I mean, it's yeah. it's tough to to transition to tight end and learn how to play it at the level that Sark needs you to play it. And yeah. I just don't think he was ready last year. You know? No, for him for him to to switch positions full time, pick up blocking as well as he had after from what I hear on some some of the other podcasts, like kind of got called out a little bit. Like, hey, we really need you to do better. And instead of sulking, you know, to to kind of embrace that role, um, not only as a pass catcher but as a blocker. Uh, it was evident last night that he's going to be a huge part of the offense. I was really surprised in a good way with, uh, you know, with how good he looked. And then, uh, you know, I'll flip it over to the defense for one more surprise. Not as surprised with the JT Sanders because we have seen him compete pretty well. But I was really, really impressed with Deshaun Jameson last night. Um, obviously, we know he's a phenomenal return man. He's electric. Um, we've seen that before. But, in you know, in fairness to the fans, last year we, we got a little frustrated watching him because it just seemed like, Biting on a lot of double moves, giving up a lot of big plays, uh, missing a lot of open field tackles. And I really think yesterday, man, he just really showed out, showed up. Um, you know, like I said earlier, the block punt, uh, he, he probably wants to be that return man. Uh, we've seen him be absolutely electric there. So for him to be, you know, moved to blocking punts instead of returning up, to block his first ever attempt at, at blocking a punt, and to have the pick six where, as Sark has said multiple times uh, this offseason, like he's just kind of been Johnny on the spot, you know, throughout the entire off offseason training program. Like if there's a tip ball in the air, somehow Deshaun Jameson's right there. I think this is going to be a huge season for him. Um, you know, and I, I think immediately you can see that his draft stop's going to rise if we continue to see him play like he did last night. So not as surprised as JT Sanders because we've seen him do it before, but for last year to be as down as it was for him and to come out and, you know, with that, that good of a performance last night, I was pretty impressed. Yeah. Uh, tips and overthrows. You got to get those right. Yeah. <laughs> he had a pick six. Uh, Deshaun Jameson was the ninth highest graded defender on the defense, according to pro football focus. And like you said, not surprised about JT Sanders, but he still came out there and did something that hasn't been done at the 40 acres in what, 15 years. Yeah. Right. And, and <laughs> yeah. And Jaleel yeah. Billingsley being out for the next five games makes that even more important. So I'm glad that, uh, he's came out and, and shown um, an elite ability to catch the football and also shown he's very uh, much capable of blocking in the run game. All right, we got to go to our players of the game. And we haven't talked about him enough yet, um, but I knew I was kind of saving him to my player of the game. But he was the best player on the field, really, on offense or defense yesterday. It was the Marvin Overshown, right? We heard all offseason about the new role that they were going to put him in, kind of a Michael Parsons-type role. Um, and he was just dominant off that edge. He had two tackles for loss. Um really had one of the biggest plays of the game. We were going to beat Louisiana Monroe regardless, but you cannot give these lower level teams confidence or let them hang around. You got to blow them out early. And after uh, Quinn Ewers threw that pick, ULM was able to get down to the goal line and almost score. And on that third down play, uh, they did the read option where Chandler Rogers takes the ball out of the running back's belly and tries to, you know, run around. But before he can even run, DeMarvin Overshawn diagnoses the fake and sacks Chandler Rogers before he can even run out of the play, right? So it was just a crazy play that, you know, they score if he doesn't make that play, and it ends up being a 7-7 game. Instead, it was 7-3, to and by the time they scored again, Texas had 50 points, right? So 
DeMarvin Overshot, that was a key play, but he was just all over the field, key tackles for loss, coming off that edge, really all over the field making plays. Um, I thought he was outstanding. And then I was going to give you an offensive play of the game, but he helped put 14 points on the board. And at the end of the year, we're going to say Texas scored X amount of points, and we're going to give all the credit to the offense. But Deshaun Jameson helped put 14 points on the field. So George already talked about how well he played. He blocked a punt. Keelan Robinson ran it in, but Deshaun Jameson did the hard stuff. And then I said on this podcast, uh, you know, we've been sleep on Deshaun Jameson. He's going to have at least four interceptions this year, and he's going to help the defense because he's either going to put the ball back in the hands of Quinn Ewers or he's going to take the ball in the end zone himself. And we saw that last night or on Saturday when he contributed, like I said, to, to 14 points with a blocked punt and then an interception return himself. And he's a playmaker. You know, like George said, he's going to get beat by double moves. He's going to take chances. But I love how you have Ryan Watts kind of playing up, playing physical on his side of the field. But you have Deshaun Jameson playing off, allowing him to just read the quarterback and break on the ball when he needs to be. That tells me that the defensive coaches, they know that he's a gambler, but they trust him to be a gambler because they know what comes on the other side of that. Once again, tips and overthrows, you got to get those. And he put seven points on the board doing that. So who were your key players on the offensive and defensive side, George? Um, I mean, it's kind of hard to not go with Baron Sorrell uh, on defense. Yeah. Uh, Very I good thought, choice. yeah, I think he was really impressive. Um, you know, admittedly, uh, I don't, I don't have the size to play defensive line, so I don't know as much as uh, some others might, but uh, you know, hearing Sam Acho talk about on the broadcast yesterday, just some of the, the elite level pass rush moves that he was demonstrating, um, you know, led the team with one and a half sacks uh, probably should have been two, but we'll, you know, we'll give credit where it's due. Um, I think he had what three tackles for loss, seven or eight tackles. So he really just showed out in a big way. Uh, we've been hearing all off season that uh, he's been one of the staples of the defensive line has really improved uh, not only as a pass rusher, but as a run defender. Uh, and he showed that last night. Uh, I, I haven't rewatched the game. I plan to, but I, I didn't remember seeing any bad plays from him. So, um, and you know what, man, on offense, I'm going to go with the low hanging fruit here. Bijan Robinson's just so good. Yeah. Like a it, quiet 13 touches. Right. But it, it looked great. Yeah. It, it, you don't even realize what he's doing. I mean, I'm looking here. It's he averaged seven yards of carry. He averaged 13 yards of reception. Like, you know, that's a really, really quiet, what is that, 111, 111 total yards, yeah. Like, you don't 13 really, touches, that's crazy. That's almost 10 yards a touch, yeah. Like, dude is just, he is, he's so good. Um, And I really, really hope that as a, as a team, we can help get him to, uh, to New York City at the end of the year, because I just, I, I, I don't know any, you know, I can't probably name five players who are better than him offensively or defensively in, in the country. So I think he deserves to be in New York. The team doesn't have as much success as we hope for. Probably not going to happen. But man, just watching him such a such a treasure. All Texas fans, every time he touches the ball, that's you know one less <laughs> that we're going to see. So you know, enjoy it while it lasts because people like him just don't don't come around often. He's a special athlete. So yeah, yes, sir. And and they got to try to get Bijan Robinson in a Big Twelve championship game before he leaves the the forty acres. Uh, good stuff right there from George as far as our takeaways, our surprises, and our best players on offense and defense. Uh, a quick word from the Longhorn Real Estate team, and then we're gonna talk to Josh Neighbors from Locked On Big Twelve about who looked good in the Big Twelve this weekend outside of your Texas Longhorns. Of course, Joel and Austin and Hill Country Mortgages have combined to make your Longhorn real estate team. And for all your real estate needs in the Austin area, you need to go to www.longhornrealestateteam.com. In a changing, more complex market, you need to work with the top professionals in Austin. Our data and information-driven approach gives our clients a significant advantage. And our clients for years 
have outperformed the market, leveraging our proprietary research, information, and expertise, which is now more important than ever. Once again, for your Longhorn, I mean, excuse me, your real estate needs in the Austin area, make sure you're checking out the Longhorn Real Estate Team at www.longhornrealestateteam.com. Hill Country Mortgages, LLC, NMLS 2324262. Jonathan Sarver, NMLS 993872, Equal Housing Opportunity. All right, Longhorn Nation. So it's time for our weekly Big 12 Roundup with our locked on Big 12 hosts, Josh Neighbors. And Josh, I'm going to start by asking you outside of Texas. Which teams impressed you the most in the Big 12 this weekend? Uh, yeah, I, I love the way Oklahoma looked. Uh, I'll start kind of with those top teams. Oklahoma looked really good. I mean, you know, you had some questions about what, what are you going to get with a new coach and obviously new team. And defense looked really good. Offense looked really good, just kind of a standard performance. That's what you got a, a lot across the board in this week. A lot of kind of, you know, like what you expected type performances. Baylor, 59-point win against Albany. Um Iowa State, you know, a really good 32-point win. Texas Tech wins by 53 over Murray State. The one big piece of news there, though, is Tyler Shuck goes down with a shoulder injury, was on the sideline with a sling. So, yeah, so that's that's a huge piece of news, obviously, that we get there. Donovan Smith comes in relief, looks really, really good. Um, so, yeah, those, those teams, I, I think everybody on Saturday especially took care of business. Like, there were – there were no close games at all in the entire Saturday slate for the Big 12. And considering who they were playing, that's a good thing. Obviously, from an entertainment standpoint, maybe not the best. But I think from a result standpoint, like that's kind of what you're looking for from all those teams. So that, that's good news. Okay. Did, did anybody – you said they all looked good. And, yeah. and, of course, the competition wasn't great. Was there anybody you were expecting more from? I know Oklahoma State, um, after losing their defensive coordinator, gave up, I think, 40-plus yeah, uh, I can't remember who they played. So maybe Oklahoma State's defense. But was there any unit or team uh, that you thought could have played better this weekend in the Big 12? Yeah, I think their defense could have played a lot better. Look, that game going into halftime, doing the math once again, I think it was 50, 50, uh, 44, I think is what they had. Four, yeah, 44. Oklahoma State. Oklahoma, way, Oklahoma State had 44. State. Oklahoma State had 44 going into halftime. It was 44 to 15. The final score of that game was fifty-eight to forty-four. So uh, that ends up being a much a much closer looking box score. I never really felt like Oklahoma State was in was in too much of peril. Um, Spencer Sanders looked awesome in that first half. Yeah, they tried did. to slow things down in the second half. I mean, that, that's kind of what you know. That's kind of what I expected to happen. Actually, Central Michigan's a pretty decent team. Like they they were not bad last last year. Um, and funny enough, you know the other quarterback. Uh, ends up Central Michigan's quarterback ends up with more passing yards in this game. Richardson throws for 424 was actually more than what Sanders had, which is weird enough because talking about how good of a game Spencer Sanders had. And then another game that was that was really weird. You know, the Kansas State game was not very competitive. I mean, they scored 20 in the first quarter. That final stat line for Martinez is really, really bad. Um, he was 11 for 15 for 53 yards now i think there was a big play that kind of took it that kind of made this go backwards um for them uh jake ruley was four to four for 42 yards so i, I forget which play it was but yeah i mean the, the yards for them uh they were not having martinez throw down the field at all he did rush 13 times for 39 yards and a touchdown so um going into a game against missouri the good news is they pitched a shutout right uh missouri scored 40 some points this week uh, against Louisiana Tech. 
So the defense is in a good spot. The offense, you know, kind of a workman's performance against a not very good South Dakota team. Uh, the questions kind of remain for this Kansas State offense. Like, do they have that gear they can kick it into? I think they're going to be asked to that next week. Like, can you kick it into gear at some point if you have to? So I would say Kansas State is the one team we're looking at. And then one more for you. Iowa State, Hunter Deckers looks really strong against South, uh, SEMO, Southeast Missouri. They've got Iowa next week. And Jonathan, not sure if you caught this. Iowa won 7-3 to three yesterday over South Dakota State. They got their seven via a field goal and two safeties. So, yes, um, so you know, th- I mean, opportunity is there for Iowa State next week. There is an opportunity for if if South Dakota can shut down the uh, the Iowa offense. I think Matt Campbell, Iowa State, and John Haycock have a chance to shut down uh, Iowa as well, so, and also their offense too. So, look, I, I think. Um, while it's weird, we thought last year would be the best chance, best opportunity for an Iowa State to be in Iowa. It actually might be this season with the offense that we saw from Iowa State and the offense that we saw from Iowa. So just some observations, kind of things to think about as we look forward next week. Yeah, so a crazy stat I saw, I hope I'm reciting this right. Uh, Iowa has won six games since 2020, just since 2020, where they're punted eight or more times. They've won yeah. six games in the last two seasons yeah. and one game where they've punted eight or more times. No other team in the FBS has done that more than twice. Right? Iowa's done right. it six times. So that's their clearly their bread and butter up there uh, in the it's land just, of the It's just corn. playing defense. And that's the thing is yeah. like, this is. <laughs> Don't do anything it, stupid. Uh-uh. No, well, yeah. it's, but, but you remember this last year, like this was the storyline. And Iowa did not win that game last year. Iowa State went and lost that game. So one of the big storylines, one of the things that Matt Campbell has not accomplished yet is beating Iowa. Like obviously he hasn't won a Big 12 title yet. But they won, I mean, they, they won in the year six bowl, right? They went to a Big 12 title game. They were in there at the end of the year back in 2020. They beat Oregon in 2020 in the year six bowl. And now, I mean, I think they've got a really good chance at getting this next kind of, you know, monkey off his back of not beating uh, a, a team like in Iowa. They'll have to go on the road to do it in Iowa City. But I, I think, you know, once again, like when you look at these performances, and I'm sure you're doing the same here in Locked on Longhorns, so much of it's trying to project, okay, what can we take from it moving forward? And so Iowa State's really the big one. When I think about like the game next week that they have against an Iowa team where it's such a big rivalry, like they might have a chance to make one of the biggest statements the entire league next weekend. Yeah. So really quickly, before I ask you about uh, your impact players from the Big 12 this weekend, uh, I picked Kansas State to beat Texas, but not if Adrian Martinez can't give me 100 yards of total offense. Right. I I was like, even if he can't pass, he's going to run for 75 to 100 yards, but he averaged three yards a carry. So I'm a little less scared about uh, Kansas State and their offense uh, thus far. What did Deuce Mon give us in in terms of total yards? I mean, just another day at at the office for one of the best (laughs) in all of college football. 18 for 126, a score, longest run of the day was 39 yards. They really didn't use them in the passing game very much. They didn't need to. Um, Just one one catch in this game. I think that's one thing that will be a big emphasis for them next week is trying to get him involved. Um, in, in that respect. Actually, Missouri stood up pretty well against the run last week, so we'll see him getting more involved. But, yeah, I mean, it's pretty standard day for him. Pretty standard, pretty standard day for him. Another day at the office. All right, so yeah. who are uh, some impact players, uh, some players that really stood out this weekend in the Big 12 that you think Texas should look out for um, in the coming weeks? 
Yeah, and I'm I'm not doing this to do a to do a you know anti uh, you know or a Kansas bit over Texas thing. I actually thought Jalen Daniels looked pretty sharp. I thought can like Kansas played Tennessee Tech, who's not a very good team, but when they played South Dakota last year, they like things were not even right. Th- things were not easy for them, I should say. They look like a Division One football program right now, like a Power Five Division One football program. They pounded Tennessee Tech from the word go. Devin Neal goes for 108 yards on four carries and has two scores. Kansas rushes for nearly 300 yards. They have, uh, let's see, five separate ball carriers get into the end zone. So Devin Neal gets a big tip of the cap from me, from KU. He is a really good running back and could be one of the better ones in the league. I want to shout out JT Daniels from Thursday night. I know they lost the game. I tweeted about this, and West Virginia fans are, are coming around to it now. Um, I thought he was really good and he was under duress the entire evening. The one interceptions, obviously not his fault. The numbers aren't going to be very good for him in the end, but that guy, that guy's a player. And for a guy who's been injured that much for him to keep getting up and to keep coming and being really there. I mean, he was there all night. They had to, they had to t- try to take him out there in the end. Um, and, and obviously Pitt gets the win, but I was really impressed by the way, JT Daniels led this team the other night. So, I want to give kudos to him. Obviously, Spencer Sanders deserves some kudos. Then uh, a couple more things, or you know, a couple more. Uh, another injury note here: Chandler Morris left the game for TCU mm. in their contest, and we're back to kind of square one again. Max Duggan comes in. Um, they were really good running the football. They were 275 yards of the ground, four rushing touchdowns. They took care of Colorado 38-13, thanks to a 21 point fourth quarter for them. So that was pretty substantial. And then I'm going to go Texas Tech. I thought Donovan Smith should have been the starter from the beginning. Not saying Tyler Shuck looked bad. He wasn't 6 for 10 for 154 and a score. Um, Donovan Smith comes in 14 for 16, 221 and four scores. This guy is is the younger of the group. Uh, Baron Morton's the youngest, but much younger than Tyler Shuck. Um, but he is he showed us last year. He's got some real ability. He can move, he's athletic, he's got a big arm, and he can be really accurate. And I think the one benefit that Texas Tech has, Jonathan, is that they have one of the best – they have they have the deepest quarterback room in the entire conference, right? They've got Baron Morton, Donovan Smith, and Tyler Schock. Those are three guys actually a lot of schools would like to start. And I think there's other big, big 12 schools that would like to start at least one of those three guys. So I'm going to go I'm gonna go there and say that was really impressive. Also, Taj Brooks for them, three touchdowns on the ground and their defense, which we have a lot of que- uh, questions about played really well too. So uh, I want to shout out Texas tech and Joey McGuire. Although they lost one quarterback, the benefit of having one of the deepest quarterback rooms is they've got a guy who is, you know, a, a really good player and has showed it last year in Donovan Smith and showed it again, four scores and, you know, the less than 15 completions that he had. Yeah. Great stuff, man. Keep you on up to date on everything in the big 12. I'm going to get you out of here on this man outside of Texas, Alabama. What is the biggest uh, game that a Big 12 team is involved in next Saturday. We got one Big 12 team playing up against a future Big 12 team, Baylor and BYU. The Holy the War. The I, Holy the, War. Yeah, the, well, we, we're, we might get several versions of the Holy War in here, the Big 12. I mean, you might get Utah versus BYU if that ever happens, but you're going to get BYU versus TCU and BYU versus Baylor. So you're going to get multiple Holy Wars. So BYU throttled USF this week and looked really good doing it. They've got an awesome offense. Um, Baylor, their offense looked really good too, albeit it was against Albany. But I think this has a chance to be – I think this will be an awesome game next week. 
in Provo, Utah. It's a night game, 10 o'clock, ESPN. So kind of maybe a Big 12 after dark type feel to it. But I'm excited for this game because it's not a conference game, but almost feels like one because we're going to see this be a conference game at least starting next year. So I'm fired up for that game. Uh, Two top 25 teams. It's one of the only times that we're going to see. I think it's actually the only top 25 matchup we have um, in the non-conference schedule for Big 12 teams right now, like a Big 12 top 25 team going up against a non-Big 12 team that's top 25. So there you go. Next week, 10 o'clock, 9 o'clock Central Time on ESPN, Baylor, and BYU. Wow, that's great. I did not realize the Holy War was week two. Do you want to pick the yeah. game right now, or do you want to wait a little bit closer? I'm, to, to I'll, I'll tell you, no, I, I'm leading BYU. I, I, and actually, I think I think there's a chance. I think there's a big chance, too. I've been saying this a bunch. Um, I think this is like the game that could propel Baylor to a Big 12 championship, because I think it could be like that learning experience. I think I think Blake Shapin might need one of these games where it's a rough environment, and I you know he plays really well and, or or doesn't play well, but I think this this could be an excellent learning experience for them, no matter what happens and win or lose because it's a non-conference game. I actually think this game is going to be really instrumental for them in whatever their season ends up, and I think it actually helps the fact they're playing a really good team on the road at this point to prepare them for whatever comes their way. So I think BYU wins, but maybe it actually helps Baylor in the long run. Hey, good stuff, right? So we had our uh, takeaways, uh, surprises, and our key players from the Texas ULM game with George Corky, and then we had our first edition of the Big 12 Roundup with our Locked On Big 12 host, Josh Neighbors. Make sure you're subscribing to Locked On Big 12 on YouTube and listening to Locked On Big 12 wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, Longhorn Nation, peace.